Hi, I'm Janvi and I'm the Wellness Coordinator here at ARC this year. What the Wellness Program aims to do is to destigmatize conversation around mental health and host events throughout the year to help students stress less and look after their well-being. I'd like to acknowledge the medical people on whose land UNSW resides. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and pay my respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people watching along with us. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We know that there's a lot of uncertainty around COVID-19 and what this means for us as a community and as students. A lot of people are doing it tough and you might be feeling overwhelmed, anxious or frustrated. So we wanted to check in with you and welcome you to Tea and Talk today. Tea and Talk is a chance for us to talk to you and to guess in the know about the tough stuff, to spill the tea on the hype around wellness. We'll be answering all of your questions about what's going on up top, all with a cup of tea in hand. So I'm joined here today by a very special guest and I'd love for you, Amanda, to go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us what's in your cup today as well. Hi, thanks for that, Janvi. My name's Amanda. I work as a clinical psychologist at This Way Up, which is the online branch at CRUFAD. So CRUFAD stands for the Clinical Research Unit for Anxiety and Depression. And we are based at St Vincent's Hospital, but we are a joint facility between St Vincent's Hospital and UNSW. And today I've got peppermint tea in my cup, which is nice and refreshing. Lovely. I've got a cup of plain black tea myself. Nice. Um, so we know that it's really, really important to check in with people and see how they're going. So I'd just like to ask Amanda, how are you doing? Thanks for asking, Janvi. I'm doing well, uh, adjusting to this new way of life along with everyone else. Um, I'm just really glad to be with you here today. Yeah, lovely. So just to start us off, Amanda, how has COVID-19 impacted you? Uh, there's definitely been some uh, lots of changes to my lifestyle, so a lot more work, um, well, not just working from home, but also staying at home um, along with everyone else. So not being able to go to places or do things that I would normally enjoy um, or to see friends and family or my clients as well face to face. So that's been a big change as well. Um, I think particularly at the start of the pandemic, um, there were some overwhelming times. I think we were all feeling um, uncertain about what was going to happen next. Um, it was anxiety provoking to switch on the news each time to hear about everything that was going on with people getting sick with COVID. Uh, but I think what's been most helpful for me has been to focus on doing the things that I enjoy most. Um, and also just taking advantage of this time to just pick up some new uh, hobbies or new skills that I probably wouldn't otherwise have time for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, you mentioned a really, really important point, which was that kind of when it all began, it was really, really difficult to adjust and it kind of took some time, a little bit of trial and error to settle in um, to all these changes. Um, and also really interesting that you brought up the different hobbies that you, you've undertaken now as well, which is always a really good time. What is your focus at the moment? Uh, jigsaw puzzles. Yes. Uh, I have learned to cut hair, not my own. Um, lots of cooking and lots of baking. I don't think I've ever baked as many cakes as I have in the past month or so. <laughs> that sounds like a really, really good time. I myself have also gotten into jigsaw puzzles mm -hmm. and I have a huge one on my desk downstairs that my whole family works on, which is always nice. Um, so what does mental health mean to you, Amanda? Uh, for me, I think mental health means a few things. So I think it's about being uh, clear-headed in your thinking. Uh, feeling calm and stable uh, with your emotions. So rather than feeling like your emotions are overwhelming you or that they're all over the place. 
Um, I think it's also about being aware of um, the kinds of emotions and thoughts that we're experiencing and being able to manage those well. Um, but also having the coping strategies in place and feeling resilient to be able to deal with the day-to-day -day stresses, both big and small, that inevitably come up in life for us. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the difference then between kind of wellness and mental health? Is there a difference? That's uh, a really great question. I think wellness and mental health are very closely connected. So I think um, we feel well when we are in a good state of health. Um, but health um, is made up of both mental health and physical health. And we know that they are very closely connected, the mind and the body, and they're just as important as each other. So investing in caring for your body and your physical health uh, will help you to feel better in your mind and in your emotions and vice versa as well. So we know that, for example, when we're under a period of heightened stress, um, it's very uh, normal for our immune systems to be lower and for us to be more, like, more likely to get physically sick. So the two go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say then that mental health kind of falls under an umbrella of wellness? I think so, along with physical health right alongside it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really, really uh, good way to visualise it. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about This Way Up? Sure. So at This Way Up, our aim is to offer online courses um, that we know are clinically proven to help through lots of randomised control trials that uh, both we've done here, but also other research groups have done as well. So we have 16 online courses for a range of things, uh, such as mental health, uh, concerns like anxiety and depression, but we also have a range of well-being courses such as introduction to mindfulness, uh, managing insomnia, coping with stress, uh, the student well-being course, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but regardless of which course it is that you do, what they all have in common is that, is that they're all based on cognitive behaviour therapy, uh, which is a short to medium term psychological treatment uh, that teaches you some really practical skills to be able to uh, manage your thoughts, your behaviours and your physical sensations uh, in more helpful ways. So the courses generally range from four to eight lessons long. Each lesson is made up of an animated uh, animated slides of characters dealing with uh, the particular um, issues that are relevant to that particular course. So you get to know the characters uh, and you follow their story over the course of the lessons. So you see them grapple with these issues. You also see them learn uh, CBT skills and how uh, they benefit them in their day-to-day -day lives. Each lesson also has an action plan. So in the action plan, the CBT skills are uh, elaborated uh, more in detail and there are some really practical uh, exercises for you to practice in between that lesson and the next one and there's also some extra resources. So you have 90 days to complete the courses and then once you finish the course you've actually got a further 12 months access to the course which is really great because you can then keep revising the skills and you also have the option of doing a course either self-help so you do that entirely on your own or it can be clinician supervised. So by clinician supervised, it means that you can approach your GP or another mental health uh, professional um, who can help track your progress and uh, help you to be able to um, stay on track and to complete a course as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that these courses are about four to six or was it four to eight? Um... Uh, generally four to six, but uh, chronic pain and the student wellbeing course are eight lessons long. Yeah, lovely. Um, and you also mentioned that you should be completing these courses within a span of 90 days. That's right. Um, 
how does the timeline kind of develop? Sure. So for a typical course, which is six lessons long, we would normally recommend one lesson every one to two weeks. So what's also really important to mention is that while it might only take half an hour or an hour to read through the material in a lesson, where you should expect the real change to happen is in the practice and the implementation of the skills between the lessons. So that's where you're going to to see things uh, really get better for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in my own experiences with CBT, I've seen that as well. I think it's one thing to kind of learn the skills and it's another thing to actually put them into practice, which right. I personally find to be kind of the more difficult part of things. Um, so I do, I do understand the importance of kind of having those breaks in between. Mm -hmm. So online psychological resources have been around for quite a while now, but during the COVID-19 pandemic, some students may find themselves seeking out these resources for the first time. Mm. Can you talk us through the pros and cons of doing an online course versus seeing a professional in person? Sure. So uh, before I go into the pros and cons, I just wanted to uh, let you know something really interesting, but also really important as we make those comparisons. And that is that uh, a wealth of research, so a lot of clinical trials actually comparing this question of online versus face-to-face -face CBT have shown that they're actually just equally as effective as each other. So you can get equally good outcomes with both. Um, and I think it's often up to the individual to think through which method of CBT, whether it be online or face-to-face -face, um, is preferable or which of the two is actually going to, to potentially work better um, for you. So in terms of uh, pros of online courses, there's a few. So the online courses have been written by clinical psychologists. So the, the way that the skills would be explained in a face-to-face -face session have basically just been put into online written form. So the courses are structured, uh, they're self-guided, uh, so they're easy to follow. They're also very convenient and accessible. So what I mean by that is that as long as you've got the internet, you can actually access an online course. Uh, and you can also uh, work through the course um, anywhere, anytime. There's no waiting lists, which means that you can register, which takes about five minutes, um, five, ten minutes to make an account. And once you do that, you can actually commence uh, lesson one immediately, which is a really big pro. Uh, it's also cheaper to do an online course than to see a psychologist face to face. So usually our, uh, some of our courses are free. Others might be paid uh, for a long, uh, for a bit more, so about $59 for a whole course. Um, but I do want to let you know that during this COVID crisis, all of our courses at This Way Up are currently free. Um, so please do take advantage of that. In terms of the cons of an online course, um, so unfortunately a computer can't talk to you in the same way that uh, a clinician can. And an online course also can't tailor the strategies to your unique situation either. You also need to be quite motivated to get through um, an online course yourself. So if you're looking for help that's more individualized um, and you're wanting more support in that therapeutic relationship, then you might decide that seeing a clinician face-to-face -face or via telehealth um, in this current situation uh, might be more suitable for you. But having said that, a lot of people actually do a combination of both seeing a psychologist face-to-face -face for CBT and an online course to help reinforce the skills. And that combination actually works uh, really well for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's really, really important to mention as well, as you said, the kind of um, 
that you won't receive the same consistent feedback that you would in, in as you would in an online session. Um, but I think right. it's really great to hear that the results can be just as good, mm-hmm. um, which I wouldn't have thought myself, but it's really lovely to hear that. Um, and I think that that might be one of the things that kind of put students off going towards online resources rather than seeing someone in person. Mm-hmm. But it's really great to hear that research actually backs that. Um, and it's also really great to hear how accessible it is, especially at the moment when students might be feeling the most stressed or the most overwhelmed or the most mm-hmm. anxious, um, to hear that they're all free is really good. So uh, you mentioned that it's kind of up to the person who wants to undertake the course to decide whether an online course is better for them or seeing a psychologist in person. Mm-hmm. But when would this, uh, when would these online resources be the right choice for someone? Sure. So a few factors to take into consideration might be that if you're someone who wants to learn some new practical CBT skills in a convenient way, so for example, you don't have to travel, um, you know, to go to an office Um, I'm talking outside of the COVID pandemic, of course, Um, or if you're working, um, you know, shift work where it might be hard to make that happen, um, then doing an online course might be helpful for you. Also, if the severity of your problem is more mild to moderate, um, that might be more helpful to do an online course. Um, But if if your problem might be a little bit more severe or a little bit more complex and you need some more intensive help um, and getting that face-to-face support from a clinician, um, even if it's through telehealth during this pandemic, um, then that's when you might consider that face-to-face treatment might be more suitable for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it really comes down to kind of situations very dependent on on the person making that choice. So... So life as a student uh, can be really tough generally, and even more so given the current uncertainty surrounding the pandemic. What's your advice to students who are feeling low or overwhelmed? Yeah, I think it's really normal for a lot of students to be feeling um, a bit low or a bit overwhelmed at this uh, point in time. Uh, The reality is that COVID-19 has affected um, and disrupted your studies a lot. Um, And it's also changed the way that you connect with others and the way that you socialise, especially now uh, while you're all on STUVAC and going into uh, exam time, there's definitely a lot that students have on their plate. Um, So if you're feeling low or overwhelmed, I think it's important to try and take things one step at a time or one day at a time. So setting some small but achievable goals and using uh, problem solving skills to, to achieve them might be helpful. And it's really important also to to reach out and ask for help from your tutors or from your classmates if you're having trouble um, with with any of the course uh, material that you're doing. As I mentioned before, taking care of your physical health is so important. So making sure you're getting good sleep, uh, eating three meals a day, getting some exercise, um, making sure that you're taking the time to relax and to do things that you enjoy. That might help to pick your mood up and also to de-stress. And also I think um, while we're in self-isolation, it's so important to keep up with your family and your friends. Um, So you feel connected and supported. Otherwise, it's just really easy to become um, quite bad and shut off from other people and to be feeling even worse. So um, having said that, while it is normal for a lot of students to be feeling a bit low or a bit overwhelmed, Um, If students are finding that their low mood or feeling really anxious or stressed is actually um, persisting, so what I mean by that is that it's going on for longer than it should, 
um, or if it's becoming more intense to deal with over time, or if those emotions are really getting in the way of your day-to-day -day life and being able to study or to do the things that you need to do, then th these may be signs um, that it's a good time to get your mental health assessed um, and to seek some professional help for it. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned quite a few things there, Amanda, especially about kind of staying in touch with people, getting exercise, keeping up with your studies and things like that. What kind of role does uh, structure structure with your day kind of play into this? I think that's uh, a really good point, Janvi, especially because day-to-day -day routines and structure have changed so much since of, uh, because of COVID. Um, I think structure is so important. So even things like, for example, making sure you get out of bed at the same time each day, um, rather than um, having your sleep cycles be um, really out of whack and really irregular, uh, making sure that you're eating at a similar time each day, um, making sure that you set up a routine so that you've got things to look forward to in each day. So it's really helpful to set up your day so that it's got a combination of being able to study um, or to work if that's your situation. Um, so being able to fulfill your responsibilities, but also inserting things like uh, connecting with people um, even if it's over a Zoom call or a phone call, uh, being able to do things that you enjoy, um, feeling like you're achieving things, uh, getting some exercise every day, making sure you're getting some fresh air and some sun rather than just being cribbed up every day, um, making sure that all of those ingredients are part of your day-to-day -day routine, I, I think can make a real difference. Yeah, absolutely. And what's your advice for students or anyone who wants to reach out for support, but I'm not, sure, not quite sure where to start? Sure. Uh, so firstly, I think um, we all just need to uh, be kind to ourselves and remind ourselves that there's no shame at all in admitting that you need some extra support. A lot of people are, and, and that's totally okay. Um, so Janvi, I might um, hand over to you first and let you talk about uh, what campus help there is, yeah. and then I can talk about um, help outside of campus as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what we would recommend is that you hit up CAPS, UNSW's Counselling and Psychological Services, who are still running at the moment over telehealth uh, consultations. So you'll find them at 93855418. Great. Uh, so outside of uh, campus services, the most helpful person to approach first, uh, we usually say, is your GP. So your GP can do a mental health assessment. They can help you understand what might be going on for you um, and discuss with you what your options are if, if you do need um, some help beyond uh, what your GP can provide. So sometimes this might mean referring you to uh, a specialist mental health clinician. That could be a clinical psychologist, a psychiatrist, or another type of mental health uh, specialist. Uh, if you're eligible, they can make a mental health care plan with you under Medicare. So, for example, to see a psychologist, um, if you do have a mental health care plan, uh, Medicare will subsidise part of the session fee for up to 10 sessions per calendar year. So that helps to uh, re reduce the load on you financially there. Yeah. I think that's a really, really uh, important point to mention, especially for students who might be struggling financially, um, that Medicare and kind of healthcare is here to support you as well. So... What kind of resources do this, does this way up have for students who might be feeling overwhelmed or wanting support? Sure. So as I mentioned before, we've got 16 online 
courses. So there is a lot to choose from. Um, but I'd like to highlight a few that students might find particularly helpful. So I'm going to start with our four wellbeing courses, uh, which are free and they are going, they're usually free anyway, even um, without without COVID being on. Um, so the first one is that we have a student wellbeing course. So this is what our flyer looks like. Uh, the course is eight lessons, but having said that, they're very bite-sized. So um, the lessons are actually a lot shorter uh, than our other courses are. And that's because we know that students are very busy people and you're probably spending a lot of time reading and doing things online. Um, so we, we've made them short and snappy for you. Uh, so the student wellbeing course, um, covers really practical strategies for things like healthy thinking, uh, how to take care of your body, healthy routines, um, healthy ways of coping, problem solving, and also overcoming procrastination, which we know um, is often a big problem with students. I know that was something as a student I had to grapple with myself. We also have other wellbeing courses such as managing insomnia, coping with stress, and also intro to mindfulness. Uh, in terms of our most popular course on at This Way Up, it's actually our Mixed Depression and Anxiety course. So this course uh, covers uh, skills for both low mood and anxiety. And then we also have a bunch of courses that target um, just depression on their own, uh, but also more specific types of anxiety, such as social anxiety, uh, panic, health anxiety, generalised anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, because there are so many courses we have on offer, if you're not sure of which one might be most suitable for you, you can have a read through the course descriptions on each on our website. Uh, and also that will tell you uh, who the course was written for and when it might be suitable for you. You can also click on a tab on our website called Take a Test. So basically what that is, is that you can fill in some brief questionnaires and based on your responses, a suggestion of a course or courses will be made to you. And you can take that into consideration when deciding which course it is that you might want to do. Uh, we also have a COVID-19 website, which you can access through our This Way Up website, or you can just put in uh, covid19.thiswayup.org.au. And that has free psychological tools for coping with this pandemic. Um, really, really great to hear the COVID tools as well, I think very relevant at the moment. Now, Amanda, you mentioned that there's a mixed depression and anxiety course there as well. And I find that I hear a lot about these two um, kind of being used together, depression and anxiety, that I hear them referred together a lot. Um, what's the link between the two? Sure. Well, the, the both low mood, both depression and anxiety um, are under an umbrella which we call internalizing disorders. So they're basically um, uh, way, ways of uh, experiencing emotions or coping with things that are very much um, internalizing. So what we mean by that is that, uh, you know, when, when stressful situations occur, for example, it's really understandable that you might respond um, by feeling anxious about it or you might respond um, by having your mood uh, dip by it as well. The other reason why they're so con so connected is you can imagine that um, you can start off with one. So for example, you might notice that you're feeling um, anxious, 
But when that anxiety persists over time, um, it's, it's understandable that that would start to weigh you down, that it would start to make you feel low. It would have impact your energy levels, your motivation levels. Um, you would then start to maybe um, feel bad about yourself as a person. Um, and it might be difficult to concentrate or to make decisions. If you think about it on the flip side as well, um, you might start off feeling depressed and having a low mood, feeling sad and feeling tearful. And because your way um, of thinking is impacted very much by depression, then you are probably going to be more prone to feeling anxious um, when stressful situations arise as well. So you can see how the two can be closely connected. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know without a doubt that students will want to hear more from you and also from this way up after this talk. How can they do this? Sure. So I think um, the first thing that students can do is to go to our This Way Up website. So if you just Google This Way Up, it'll come up or you can go to thiswayup.org.au. Uh, have a look at what courses we have on offer and to see uh, which one might be uh, potentially helpful to you. If after that you still have some questions about our courses or if you need any technical help, uh, we do have a contact form on our website that you can uh, fill in and send to us or you can email us at contact at thiswayupclinic.org um, and we normally try to get to people, get back to people within one to two business days after that. Lovely. So now it's time to spill the tea, which is when students at home um, who are following along send us some questions that they'd like for us to answer. And we have a couple of questions for you, Amanda. Sure. So just to start us off, we have a few questions about your career. Um, and the first question is, what pathway did you take to become a clinical psychologist? Sure. So I actually studied at UNSW. <laughs> so I do have a soft spot for uh, UNSW um, and the courses there are, are great. Uh, so I studied a four year Bachelor of Psychology degree um, and the fourth year was an honours uh, degree. Um, and then after that, I did a two year Masters of Clinical Psychology degree also at UNSW. So all in all, it was a six year degree. Um, so some people can do the six years continuously like myself, other people decide to do the bachelor degree, um, then take some time off um, to do something else or they might want to get some um, experience um, and then come back and do um, the honours, oh, sorry, the master's degree a little bit later on. But all in all, um, in order to become registered as a clinical psychologist, you do need to have um, the four years plus the two years, um, or there is another pathway for doing um, the two years as well. So for some people, rather than doing the two years master's degree, degree um, they can actually uh, do an internship, um, find a supervisor and be supervised that way as well. Okay, really interesting. A few different pathways to take there. That's right. So what does the day in the life of a clinical psychology look, psychologist look like? Uh, that's a great question. So a big part of being a clinical psychologist in my role anyway um, is offering uh, psychological treatment. Um, in my particular role, it's for people with uh, depression and anxiety disorders because that's what our clinic uh, uh, specialises in, sorry. Um, so it's basically um, assessing people's um, mental health um, and doing some structured cognitive behaviour therapy treatment um, with them. Uh, and it's a real uh, pleasure and privilege, I think, to be able to walk with people so closely through that process um, and to also see people uh, get better and improve. Uh, in this particular role I work in, um, I'm also involved in some research. Um, so a lot of psychologists do that as well alongside the clinical work. Um, and also in my role uh, with This Way Up, um, I 
I also help with writing some of the content for the online courses um, and being a consultant to the team at This Way Up as well. So uh, I get to do a variety of things in this role, um, but certainly a big bulk of it is doing uh, the psychological treatment uh, with people and working side by side with them um, to improve their mental health. Lovely. Sounds like a really dynamic workplace, which is really definitely. So what are some obstacles you've encountered in your profession uh, as a clinical psychologist that you didn't expect to encounter while you were still a student or while you were still studying? Sure. Uh, I think uh, when you're studying, obviously you read a lot about um, depression, anxiety, about um, other types of mental health issues that people experience. Um, and so you can get a good idea from um, lectures and also from your placements about um, what it's like to work with people um, and to implement the treatments for them. Um, but when you do start working day in and day out, um, I guess one of the challenges is uh, that you are still a human. Um, so you can get uh, uh, personally affected by seeing the kinds of things that people experience. Um, you know, it can be distressing sometimes, um, seeing people um, really distressed. Um, and walking through some really difficult things in life. Um, and so I think um, that it, once you start working and once you start um, working together with people, I think it's about being really aware of uh, how it impacts you as a person, um, as well as a clinician, and having some good strategies such as getting some good clinical supervision with your colleagues, um, implementing some self-care um, to make sure that you're looking after yourself in that process so that you can also um, look after other people as well. So I think it's about recognising that, yes, you are a professional, um, but you're also human. Absolutely. I think self-awareness is a huge part of that. Um, so we have another question that is how common are anxiety and depression? I feel like everyone has it these days. Sure. So um, I guess the first thing to say is that uh, feeling sad or feeling um, anxious are very normal human emotions. Uh, we all experience them from time to time, um, but they also exist on a spectrum. So uh, when they start to become a clinical disorder is when um, feeling sad or feeling anxious persists over a period of a few weeks or more, um, when it becomes really distressing to experience them, or when it gets in the way of your day-to-day -day functioning. So for example, if it becomes really hard to study or to work um, or to socialize, or when people are no longer doing the things that they want to enjoy, um, or when people are experiencing anxiety or uh, low mood to the degree where um, it's basically just overtaken them and it's, it's really hard to focus on um, feeling anything else because the feelings are so intense and overwhelming. That's when we would then start to consider that to be a clinical disorder. So in terms of prevalence, we know that um, approximately one in five people will experience depression and or anxiety throughout um, their lifetime. So that's actually, um, you know, it's actually quite common. Um, and as we talked about before, Janvi, um, it's really common for depression and anxiety to go hand in hand for a lot of people as well. Absolutely. I think it's, it's really great to hear, especially um, from, from an expert like you about kind of where the line, line lays. Um, between kind of sadness and being overwhelmed and also it becoming an actual disorder. I think that um, students may struggle with that line. I think it's really, really interesting to hear from you um, where it actually does lay. So we have another question here where someone has said, I've been feeling quite low recently, but I've never seen a psychologist. I'm a bit nervous to do it. Do you have any advice on where I should start? 
Sure. So firstly, I just want to say it's really natural to feel nervous about seeing a psychologist for the first time, um, especially when you don't know uh, what to expect or or how it's going to go. Um, I think that if you uh, aren't sure of uh, where to go, um, then as I spoke about before, I think that going to your GP as the first port of call is, is really useful. Um, so it would be important to tell your GP that you have been feeling low. Um, tell them about what other changes you've noticed in yourself. Um, so it might be changes in your sleep, in your appetite, in your concentration, um, changes in the way that you're thinking, in the way that you're socialising. Um, it will be important to explain all of that to your GP and, and that would give your GP a better idea of what, um, what kind of help might be suitable for you. And that might mean um, referring you to a psychologist. So uh, psychologists are trained to assess mental health um, concerns. Um, and we are uh, trained in the first session um, to be asking questions of you um, so that we can get a good understanding, a good assessment of what's happening for you and what we might recommend moving forward. Um, but we are also trained to help you to try and feel as comfortable and at ease as possible. So we know that seeing a psychologist uh, can be nerve wracking. Um, and so it's also um, our job to try and help you feel as comfortable as possible in that first session. I think it's also really important in that first session um, to be able to ask questions of your psychologist as well. So if there's something that you're not sure of, or if you've got questions about the treatment plan or the recommendations, um, or about how things work, um, please do feel free to ask questions um, rather than keep them in and to, and to walk away from that first session feeling confused or unsure of what to do or what to expect. Um, so those are some things that I'd suggest um, if you're feeling a little bit nervous or if you're not quite sure how to approach that first session. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I myself, my first step was to head to my GP and get a referral and go from there um, once I developed a mental health plan. So I, I definitely understand that um, though it can be overwhelming, I found that heading to my GP, who I was already quite familiar with, was a really um, a simple step I could take. And it wasn't as terrifying as kind of heading to a healthcare professional that I'd never met before that didn't know me at all. Sure. Uh, and I think on the note about GPs, I mean, GPs uh, routinely uh, refer um, lots of patients to uh, psychologists. So they've got a really good database of who's local, who specialises in what, and also they also get feedback from their patients about how things are going as well, which is why the GP is often a, a good first resource to go yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. And I still remember a few years ago when I first went to my GP, and she was um, kind of telling me about the different methods that um, different psychologists use and to kind of find the one that worked best for me. Mm. Um, so I think that's a really, really great point. Oh, well, I'm pleased you had a good um, positive experience with that, John B. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely did. And I, I, I think it was a really great step for me to take, something that I definitely needed. Um, so how can family members help each other manage them, their mental well-being during this really stressful time? Mm -hmm. You mean during COVID in particular? Yeah, so uh, I think it's really um, important for us all to be looking out for each other, um, especially those in a household or those within families, um, because it's it's so easy to feel disconnected um, and potentially unsupported and to feel very alone during this time. Um, I think it's also important to recognise that we're, like each individual's life has been uh, impacted by COVID um, slightly differently. 
um, and each individual has a different set of stressors that they're, um, they're living with. So I think one way that um, family members or housemates can be trying to support each other is to have a really good understanding of what each person's individual circumstances are. Um, because what might be stressing me may not be stressing the person that I live with and vice versa. And so I think um, having that, that understanding is going to help us to empathise um, with each other more and to be able to um, work out how to best um, support each other. I think having a very open uh, dialogue and conversation is always going to be helpful because I think it's really easy to assume that we know what the other person is thinking or that the other person knows what we're thinking, but the reality is none of us really do. And so I think being able to talk really openly about what, what's going on for you and how it is that um, you can look out for each other um, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for people living within a household um, to have those conversations, because I myself am seeing my family way more than I'm used to since I'm not going to uni and I'm not going to work. And um, now both my parents are also working from home um, to kind of set those boundaries as well about mm -hmm. um, having, having that conversation and setting those boundaries is to see where they actually lay and kind of what we actually need from each other. Mm. And along similar lines, um, someone has asked, what should I do if my friend isn't coping well in this isolation period? Do you have any tips on how I can talk to them about this? Sure. So on our COVID-19 website, which I spoke about earlier, there's actually a whole module on knowing what to say. Um, and that's got some really helpful, practical um, examples of ways that you can uh, speak to other people who may not be coping with, with what's happening. Uh, I think what's really important is to um, be, be setting things up so that your friend knows that they can talk to you, um, that you're going to be uh, non-judgmental, um, that you're willing to listen. Um, and when, when you're able to do that for someone, it actually opens up the conversation more easily so that someone can feel like they can talk to you about whatever it is um, that they're finding difficult or not coping with. Um, and when that person um, does speak to you about that, I think what's really important is that you um, reflect back to them what it is that you're hearing, um, that you're empathising with what they're saying, even if that's not an experience that you've got yourself or even if you're not reacting in, that, in a similar way to them. Just being able to com communicate to them that, yeah, it, it does sound really hard what you're going through um, is going to be uh, a way of helping that person feel heard uh, and understood. Um, and it's going to help to keep that dialogue between the two of you going. Um, and of course, I think, um, you know, there are ways of gently uh, introducing or suggesting um, that a person uh, gets a little bit more help beyond you if you feel that they're needing that. So as we've discussed today, it might be going to see your GP um, or it might be heading on to some online resources that we have either through the COVID website or through This Way Up. Um, and I think it's about um, making that person feel supported, that you are in it with them um, and that you're a listening ear and willing to, um, to support them through that. Uh, thank you so much. So with the Wellness Warriors, we often talk um, about a saying that we have that is, you can't pour from an empty cup. So we want to ask you, Amanda, what do you do for yourself when you're having a tough time and your ability to do kind of things is a little bit diminished? How do you fill up your cup? Uh, so I'd say there's a few things. The first thing is that I really prioritise sleep. Um, so I don't know about you, but um, when, I'm, when my sleep is not good, I'm just not in the best of moods. 
um, I'm not alert, I'm not productive. Um, and so just focusing on making sure that I get good sleep um, for me is, is really important. Um, for me, simple pleasures um, are really important too. So I might be having a, a cup of tea, uh, making sure that I get some sunlight, going for a walk, um, looking at photos um, or some pictures of nice scenery that just make me feel um, calm and relaxed. Um, and I also think um, talking to someone I find really useful as well. Otherwise, um, I just bottle things up myself and feel like I'm just sitting with um, things by myself, but when you um, are able to talk to someone about it, um, then that definitely helps me when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. I think I definitely prioritise my sleep as well. Um, when I'm starting to feel overwhelmed, when my cup is starting to feel empty, um, but mine is also just looking after the quality of my sleep in that when I am starting to feel overwhelmed, I tend to sleep a lot and I take a lot of naps, which means that when I actually go to sleep at night, I really struggle to actually fall mm. Um, so yeah, really, really great to hear about your different things as well and socializing and things like that too. So thank you to everyone who's watched this from home, um, to, for joining us today for this tea and talk. We'll be back next Wednesday to catch up with you and other guests in the know about tough stuff and to spill the tea on the hype around wellness to answer all of your questions. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to chat about, you can find us at arcwellnessunsw on Instagram or email us at wellness at arc.unsw.edu.au. If you or a mate are feeling low or overwhelmed and want to chat to someone in the know, um, we'll be dropping below uh, a page on how you can reach out to people who know what's up, um, a link, uh, some helpful links and contacts. Take care and drink lots of tea and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Amanda. See you.